Welcome once again to Let's Talk Vets. I'm your host, Staff Sergeant Doug Sandberg. This is where we discuss vet-centric topics, the good, the bad, and, yep, the ugly, in the hope that listeners will better understand our veterans, our veterans will know they're not alone, and perhaps along the way we'll learn a little something about each other. We sincerely hope to accomplish that mission. The opinions expressed herein are mine alone as a veteran. February is also Black History Month, a month we set aside to celebrate the African-American community and the fearless individuals who have stood up against racial injustice and discrimination to do the right thing, often at their own peril, and to fight for civil rights in U.S. wars far away. Despite our declaration that all men are created equal, black Americans have historically been treated as second-class citizens. Now, we dedicate tonight's program to the black men and women who have served our country with honor, courage, and distinction when called upon, or in some cases when we allowed them to go into harm's way, to defend this country only to return home to the same racism, discrimination, and attitudes they left behind when they joined the U.S. military as their thank you from a grateful nation. Here are but a few of the names we honor tonight. There are many, many more who will go unsung. Crispus Attucks, you may recall, was killed in the Boston Massacre and thus the first official casualty of the American Revolutionary War. Henry Johnson of the 369th Infantry Regiment, which became known as the Harlem Hellfighters, an all-African-American unit of World War I, single-handedly fought off more than 20 Germans and saved a fellow soldier from capture, all while injured and armed only with a bolo knife. Then there was Staff Sergeant Reuben Rivers, who served in World War II in the 761st Tank Battalion, also known as Patton's Panthers. After suffering a severe leg injury from hitting a mine with his tank, Rivers, a native Oklahoman, disobeyed a direct order to evacuate himself out of harm's way to cover the U.S. retreat from the advancing German lines. Olita Crane was one of only three black women of the 300 women who entered officer training during World War II. After the war, Crane was the only female black officer to be retained by the military. She eventually retired from the Army as a major. Specialist 5th Class Lawrence Joel, a member of the 173rd Airborne Brigade, showed immense courage in the face of outnumbering odds while serving in Vietnam. When the battalion was suddenly ambushed by the Viet Cong, Joel was determined to fulfill 
his duties as a medic. Despite getting shot in the thigh and the calf, Joel disobeyed a direct order to stay down and under heavy fire moved through the battlefield attending to the wounded and constantly shouting words of encouragement to those fighting around him. Also during the Vietnam War, Staff Sergeant Melvin Morris went above and beyond the call of duty by leading an advance across enemy lines to recover the body of a fallen sergeant. Morris would go on to become one of the first Green Berets in 1961, and in 2014, at the age of 72, was presented with the Medal of Honor by then-President Barack Obama for his actions in Vietnam. In Iraq in 2005, Sergeant First Class Alwyn C. Cash dove back into a burning vehicle three times under enemy fire to rescue trapped soldiers. And during that rescue, Cash's uniform, which was soaked with fuel, caught fire, and he sustained second and third degree burns over his body. Despite the burns, Cash continued to pull soldiers from the vehicle and refused to be placed on a medical evac helicopter until all the wounded had been flown to safety. Later in the hospital, when Cash regained consciousness, his first words were, quote, How are my boys? He passed away three weeks later and was posthumously awarded the Silver Star. He recently received the Medal of Honor from President Biden. All of these are members of the African-American community. They're also first and foremost Americans fighting for a country that did not always fight for them. We can learn something from their example. In many ways, the fight for racial equality is still alive and well. However, there are also many forces using race as a means to generate cash and or power. We as Americans need to pay attention to the real issues facing our black brothers and sisters while rejecting the false narratives being used as tools to divide us as a nation. Try to love one another right 
Now it's time for some news of interest to the Hudson Valley veterans community. Hope for Heroes and the Beyondo Foundation are again providing scholarships for school-aged children who have an IEP. That's an Individual Education Plan. For more information, check out beyondofoundation.org. Questions? Contact our friend Lori Briceland at 845-843-0020. Hope for Heroes also hosting a gala at the Villa Barone Hilltop Manor, 466 U.S. 6 Mayapack, New York. That'll be March 24th, beginning at 6.30 p.m. Tickets, $85 per head, $850 for the table. Three-course dinner includes beer, wine, and soda, dessert, and coffee. So you can register at heroes23.gibsmart.com RSVP to heroeshope22 at gmail.com And if you'd like to talk to somebody about it, questions go to Amanda Tierney, Administrative Assistant, Hope for Heroes Foundation, 845-702-7233. 
Do you need help preparing your New York State or federal tax return? Well, there is some help available. Here's some of the locations and times for you. For an appointment at the Sunshine Fall Free Library in Eldred, 845-557-6258. Appointments are available for March 6th and the 20th. For an appointment at the Ethel B. Crawford Public Library in Monticello, 845-794-4660. Appointments on most Tuesdays and Thursdays. For an appointment at Mamacating Library in Wurtsboro, 845-888-8004. And there's appointments available on March 2nd, the 4th, and the 7th. And for an appointment at the Livingston Manor Public Library, 845-439-5440. Appointments are available only on March 18th, starting at noon. These events are sponsored by AARP and your friendly Internal Revenue Service with help from Cornell Cooperative Extension Service of Sullivan County, the Sullivan County Retired and Senior Volunteer AmeriCorps Program, and participating libraries. Now, there are certain complex tax situations, such as taxpayers who own rental property or operate businesses, which are not within the authorized scope and therefore cannot be prepared. Ulster County Veteran Service Agency's monthly luncheon be held on February 23rd. New Paltz VFW. All veterans are invited. If you're interested in attending to either share information, help serve, or just want to chat with some of your veterans, American Legion Post 72 and VFW Post 5034, both from Saugerties, are having their open house and breakfast during the Snow Moon Festival Feel free to visit or check out the Veteran Museum located there. Contact either Post 77 or VFW Post 5034 in Saugerties. American Cruisers MC Chapter 123 hosting a blood drive Saturday, March 18th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. in Red Hook at the VFW Post 7765-30 Elizabeth Street, Red Hook, New York. Uh, you can sign up at nybc.org or you can call 800-933-2655. There's a Veterans Luncheon on Thursday, February 23rd at noon, hosted and sponsored by VFW Brandon Vandenberg Post, 8645101, located on New York 208 in New Paltz, New York. For RSVP or transportation, call 845 845- 340-3190. Seating is limited, so get it in early. New York Division of Veterans Services wants to make you all aware of a New York State Veterans Nonprofit Capital Program. This program is designed to provide funding for projects and limited to the following. Design, construction, reconstruction, rehabilitation, or expansion of an eligible facility, Purchase of furnishings or equipment for eligible facilities providing such furnishings or equipment have a useful life of 10 years or more. And certain construction and soft costs including architectural, engineering, and design and will range from twenty-five dollars to $75,000. The deadline for application is 4 p.m. March 31st, 2023. Applicants can find more information at New York State Grants Gateway. And if you have any questions uh, concerning this program, you can email grants 
at veterans.ny.gov. The Greater Liberty Chamber of Commerce is excited to announce the appointment of Jack Botolowski of the Animal Hospital and Companion Memorial in Ferndale as acting president of the Greater Liberty Chapter of Commerce. And Jack is also the founder and president of Companion Coffee, a nonprofit organization which helps raise money for veterans and their pets. The board members of the chamber voted unanimously in favor of the appointment on Friday, January 20th. Longstanding President Russell Reeves thanked the chapter for its many accomplishments, including 25 years of the 4th of July festival and business grants during COVID to help its business members remain open and cooperation to establish the Sullivan County Soapbox Derby. Russell Reeves remained on the board along with other standing uh, board members and will support Jack, who is a longstanding chamber member, business owner, and veteran. Greater Liberty Chamber of Commerce meetings will resume in February and will be announced on the website and social media and via email. Are you confused about the changing statistics of veteran suicide? Trauma and Resilience Resources Incorporated would like you to know about the following. Truth of the matter is we really don't know what the actual number is, but any number above zero is staggering and evidence that our work is far from done. The next warrior camp is scheduled for March 2023. They hope to have a fully enrolled program of veterans with the courage to ask for help healing their wounds of war. Asking for help is an act of courage. Providing that help is an act of solidarity. We thank you all for joining us. It's important life-saving work. In the past, you have generously supported TRR. They still urgently need your help for the March program. Each program costs about $30,000. To date, TRR has received almost $10,000 in donations. They need another $20,000 to fulfill the commitment. Can we count on you again? So here are the ways that you can support this program. $50 to defray costs of fuel, transportation, and lodging to the farm facility. $720 is a sponsor for one night of lodging and uh, food for warriors and staff. $800 will sponsor a day of programming at the farm. $1,000 will sponsor a native healer. $2,500 will sponsor one warrior for the week and $30,000 sponsors the entire program. No matter how much you contribute, your gift is literally saving lives. Without your help, they could not fulfill the mission to end veteran suicide. Well, United for the Troops is having a gala fundraiser. You need tickets, get them now. They're here and they're selling out fast. Win 10,000, 3,000, or 2,000. All tickets were sold last year. Only 300 tickets will be sold at $100 each. The drawing March 10th, 2023 at the UFT Gala, Villa Barone Hilltop Manor. And winners do not need to be present to purchase tickets or to donate. You simply go to the website unitedforthetroops.org or you can contact Patty at 845 Nothing we say on this program, or any other for that matter, 
can atone for the injustice black American service members have suffered. All we can do is try and impart what these brave women and men endured to defend this ungrateful nation and to celebrate their heroics. The following short history of integration in the U.S. Armed Forces was published on February 22, 2021 by Mr. Walt Napier at Joint Base McGuire-Dix in Lakehurst, New Jersey. With the events which have taken place over the last couple of years, it's important to look back at the events that have been pivotal in breaking down racial barriers. Black service members have fought in every single American conflict. The United States Army History Office estimates about 5,000 warriors of the American Revolution were black. These men served in the artillery at the time the most advanced division of the service, the infantry as laborers and even musicians. One particular unit, the 1st Rhode Island Regiment, drove General Washington to agree to allow black soldiers who were slaves to earn their freedom through service. The regiment earned a reputation for bravery and ferocity. At the Battle of Newport in 1778, the regiment fought so fiercely that one Hessian officer resigned his commission rather than leading his men against the first Rhode Island. Now many of the smaller wars of the 19th century have limited records of service members, wars such as the War of 1812 and the Seminole Wars. It is undisputed, however, that there were black combatants in these national conflicts as well. At the Battle of New Orleans, Andrew Jackson promised free black men who joined equal pay with their white counterparts, while enslaved men were promised freedom. All in all, around 900 freemen and slaves fought in the Battle of New Orleans. Unfortunately, their sacrifice went unrewarded when after the battle Andrew Jackson reneged on his promise and sent the enslaved men back to their masters. The next great war, perhaps the most terrible in America's history, came in 1863 when southern states attempted to secede from the Union. To this day the American Civil War remains the bloodiest conflict in U.S. history. Abraham Lincoln had won the election of 1860 on an anti-slavery platform. The underlying problems, however, went as far back as the American Revolution. It was difficult to understand how a war for liberty could be fought while so many on American soil lived in bondage. Following the Revolution, a sticking point to the drafting of the Constitution was the question of slavery. The Congress eventually came up with the Three-Fifths Compromise, essentially stating that a slave was worth three-fifths of a person for counting the population in regard to government representation. The other sticking point was the slave trade itself. Article 1, Section 9, Clause 1 of the Constitution indicates that the slave trade would continue for 20 years ending in 1808 
by any state that desired for it to remain legal, allowing states to decide whether they were free or not, and ending the slave trade created a new problem as time progressed. The first issue throughout the 19th century revolved around statehood. Each time a new state would come into the Union, it would have to be slave or free. From a political standpoint, this meant that if slave or free outnumbered the other, political representation, and accordingly power, would reflect the disparity. The next issue came about since the slave trade ended in 1808. A slave state could no longer purchase new slaves. This placed a premium on enslaved persons. And by the time of the Civil War, the great majority of Southern wealth revolved around enslaved peoples. Both from the commodities they were forced to produce and the individuals themselves. Returning to Lincoln's election, the South viewed this anti-slavery platform as cutting their political and fiscal power off at the knees. Despite the clear reasoning for the outbreak of the war, the Lincoln administration was hesitant to allow black troops to shoulder arms and fight. Lincoln feared that arming African Americans would cause a panic in border states, potentially pushing them to join the Confederacy. As the war carried on, however, practical need replaced political gamesmanship. In July of 1862, Congress passed a law freeing any person with a master in the Confederate Army, and slavery was abolished in the Union. Needing manpower to continue the war, the Union began allowing black men to join the fight. One of the first black units, the 54th Massachusetts Volunteer Infantry Regiment, would go on to become one of the most famous. Immortalized in the film Glory, the 54th Massachusetts was first forced to perform only manual duties. On the outskirts of Fort Wagner, however, their role would quickly change. The men of the 54th charged the ramparts of the fort over and over, eventually suffering a 42% casualty rate, including the death of their commander, Colonel Robert Shaw. Despite the tactical defeat, it provided a strategic and moral victory. The valor and ferocity of the 54th Mass convinced the U.S. Army to increase the number of African-American recruits for the Army. By the end of the war, 186,000 men had served in the Union Army and another 30,000 in the Navy. That was roughly 25% of the Navy's strength. It also led to four permanent all-black regiments in the Army following the war. Fremont told him when the war had first begun How to save the Union the way it should be won But old Kentucky swore so hard and A.B. had his fears Till every hope was lost but the colored volunteers McClellan went to Richmond, 200,000 brave 
said, in the union I will say, little Mac, he had his way, the union's still in tears, now they call for the help of the colored volunteers. Oh, give us a flag, oh, free without a slave, we'll fight to defend it, as our fathers did so brave. Gallant Company A, we'll make those rebels dance. We'll stand by the Union, we only get our chance. Oh, Jeff says he will hang us, we dare to meet him on. A very big thing, but we were not alarmed. But first he'll have to catch us, before his way is clear. That is what's the matter. Volunteer. So rally, boys, rally, let us never mind the past. We had a hard road to travel, but our days come at last. God is for the right, and we have no need to fear. The union will be saved by the colored volunteer. Oh, give us a flag, home free without a slave. And we'll fight to defend it, but the fathers did so brave. The gallant company A will make those rebels dance. We'll stand by the Union, we only had a chance. We'll stand by the Union, we only had our chance. In 1866, Congress authorized the creating of permanent all-black regiments. Eventually, those units would be designated the 9th and the 10th Cavalry and the 24th and 25th Infantry. These all-black regiments would collectively become remembered as Buffalo Soldiers. The true source of this nickname is up for debate. The most believed origin is that the fierceness of the fighters reminded the Native Americans of their revered buffalo during the Indian Wars. The name initially used in reference to the cavalry, but quickly became synonymous with all four regiments. Buffalo soldiers fighting men rode for the army to clean up the land. Nobody messed with the ninth and the 10th from the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande. Fighting men rode for the army to clean up the land. Nobody messed with the ninth and the tenth from the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande. From the cotton fields of Georgia to the farmlands in the north, the only way to be a man was in that uniform. Some had never had their freedom, others fought for dignity. Dark soldiers on the frontier, the part of history. Buffalo soldiers fighting men rode for the army to clean up the land. Nobody messed with the ninth and the tenth from the Kansas place to the Rio Grande. They were lean, tough, and ornery and didn't take no guff. They chased those wild Apaches till the moccasins were off. They battled brave Comanches 
Kiowas and Cheyennes too They called them Buffalo Soldiers America's pride and blue Buffalo Soldiers fighting them Go for the army to clean up the land Nobody mess with the 9th and the 10th From the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande Buffalo soldiers fighting men Roll for the army to clean up the land Nobody mess with the ninth and the tenth From the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande Buffalo soldiers fighting men Roll for the army to clean up the land Nobody mess with the ninth and the tenth From the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande Buffalo soldiers fighting men Roll for the army to clean up the land Nobody mess with the ninth and the tenth From the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande Buffalo soldiers fighting men Roll for the army to clean up the land Nobody mess with the ninth and the tenth From the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande Nobody mess with the ninth and the tenth From the Kansas Plains to the Rio Grande The outstanding service of the Buffalo soldiers continued through the Spanish-American War. That war is often remembered by the charge of Lieutenant Colonel Theodore Roosevelt up San Juan Hill. What is often forgotten is that the 24th Infantry, as well as the 9th and 10th Cavalry, charged alongside the 1st Volunteer Cavalry, known as the Rough Riders. The Buffalo Soldiers fought with bravery, losing 26 men, but being recognized for valor and Edward L. Baker Jr. being awarded the Medal of Honor. Unfortunately, the period surrounding the Spanish-American War corresponded to the rise of Jim Crow laws in the South. Following the Civil War, various groups maneuvered to undermine the equality for African-Americans with varying degrees of success. In 1896, however, the Supreme Court ruled in Plessy versus Ferguson that racial segregation was indeed legal. That policy would become known as separate but equal. By the time World War I, separate but equal, and the rise of Jim Crow laws had created a new wave of racially charged discrimination. The Navy is a striking example of this. Despite representing a quarter of the Navy during the Civil War, it consistently filled 20 to 30 percent of the Navy's manpower in the latter half of the 19th century. African-American opportunities in the Navy were abruptly curtailed in the early 1900s during World War I. Black sailors only represented about 1.2 percent of the Navy, and these men were only allowed in the galley or the coal bunkers. 
The Army during World War I had more black men serving in that branch, but the situation was far from ideal. The first notable issue was that the permanent black regiments were sidelined in favor of newly enlisted draftees. The permanent units were ordered to remain stateside, and their leadership was pilfered to take up training posts for the new recruits. This led to a situation in Houston where the 24th Infantry was stationed. The local population was mistreating the black soldiers, who were already upset about not fighting in the war, lacking leadership after they had lost their senior NCOs and officers, and frustrated by the increasing racist treatment by the local population. The situation erupted into what is known as the Houston Riot of 1917, or the Camp Logan Mutiny. The men of the 24th armed themselves and actually killed 15 civilians while losing four of their own. For those who went to France during the war, life was not much better. The open bias against black troops meant that most of them never fired a shot at the enemy. The majority were placed in pioneer infantry units, largely labor positions. A few black units were able to prove themselves in two segregated combat units, the 92nd and the 93rd. Commander of the American Expeditionary Forces, General John J. Pershing, was being pressured to provide replacement troops to the exhausted French Army. Pershing decided to give the 93rd Division to the French Army. The French readily accepted that helped and treated their new black allies as equals. One particular regiment of the 93rd Division would stand out, the 369th Infantry Regiment, known as the Harlem Hellfighters. The 369th spent more time on the front than any other American unit, including the first Americans to be awarded the French Croix de Guerre. Some 404,000 black officers and men would serve during World War I, an estimated 11% of the total force. Despite the proven valor of black troops, black soldiers represented only about 1.5% of the Army in June 1940, and roughly the same percentage of the Navy. The Marine Corps and the Air Corps, on the other hand, were completely off-limits. In that same year, Nazi troops were sweeping over France and Japan was solidifying its position in the Pacific. For this new war, civil rights leaders decided to take a different approach than their predecessors. In 1917, W.E.B. Du Bois said that black Americans should not bargain with their loyalty, suggesting that the civil rights struggle be paused during World War I. African Americans were not perceived to be taking advantage of that situation. Despite African-Americans willing to serve an exemplary record, they continued to face limitations. As World War II drew near, men of the National Association of Advancement for Colored People, the NAACP, like Walter F. White and T. Arnold Hill from the National Urban League sought to use the new war to the advantage of the status of the black community. This placed black Americans in a tricky position. If they supported the war effort fully, they feared the result would be similar to the events of World War I. 
If they didn't support the war, they feared they would face accusations of being un-American. The solution presented itself in the Pittsburgh Courier, one of the predominant black newspapers of the period. Following Pearl Harbor, the paper published a letter by James G. Thompson. Mr. Thompson asked if he should sacrifice his life to live half American. The paper responded by creating the Double V campaign, Victory Abroad, Victory at Home. Campaign's ideas were taken up across the country. One million black men and women served in the military, and six million more worked in the defense industry. There could be no question of their loyalty. Simultaneously, however, many of these same individuals pushed for more access to the branches like the Army Air Service and combat arms, expecting their loyalty to be recognized. Many believe that Double V was one of the opening skirmishes of the larger civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. In combat, many African-American units served with distinction. Famed red tails of the 332nd Fighter Group broke down the barrier of black pilots and air crews. Products of segregated Tuskegee Army Airfield, which gave them the nickname the Tuskegee Airmen, the 332nd would fly over 15,000 sorties and destroy 263 enemy aircraft, be awarded more than 850 medals. Benjamin O'Davis, Jr., graduate of the first class of Tuskegee Airmen and the commander of the 332nd would also go on to form the 477th Bomber Squadron. And many civil rights leaders commented on the fact that black pilots were not allowed to fly larger aircraft like bombers. Unfortunately, the 477th would never see combat and the war ended prior to their deployment. On the ground, another famed unit would earn their place in American military law. The 761st Tank Battalion, known as the Black Panthers, in October of 1944, the all-black tank battalion would reach France and serve under General George S. Patton, who famously told them he didn't care what color they were as long as they were there to kill Germans. Patton continued, quote, Most of all, your race is looking forward to you. Don't let them down. And damn you, don't let me down. The 761st would go on to fight in 183 days of continuous combat, including the Battle of the Bulge and the Battle of the Rhine. The 761st were awarded 11 silver stars, 69 bronze stars, 300 purple hearts, a presidential unit citation, and the Medal of Honor to Sergeant Warren G. H. Cressy. Following World War II, the push for civil rights and equality came back home and continued. The first V victory abroad had been achieved, and victory at home was still elusive. Similar to black veterans returning from World War I, the heroes of World War II often faced exclusion and aggression from the American populace. Send my son to Vietnam. 
give me second class houses and second class schools do you think that all colored folks are just second class fools mr backlash i'm gonna leave you with a backlash blue President Harry S. Truman would especially be moved by the story of Isaac Woodard. Woodard had been arrested, beaten, and blinded by South Carolina police officers on February 12, 1946. Mr. Woodard had been honorably discharged from the Army only a few hours prior and was still in uniform when attacked. President Truman took action by forming the President's Committee on Civil Rights in 1946. The committee reported to the president the pressing need to end segregation and discrimination within the armed forces. On July 26, 1948, Truman responded with an executive order 9981 directing the military to end segregation. The first article stated, quote, there shall be equality of treatment and opportunity for all persons in the armed forces without regard to their race, color, religion, or national origin. Despite that order, the President faced pushback from many of the leaders within the military. The leading generals argued that officers would not promote or send black troops for schools and their white counterparts would become violent because they had to live together. The recent experience of combat, however, showed this to be inaccurate. The majority of men and officers who fought with black units reported that they performed admirably and would not have issues with serving alongside black units again. White units who had not served with black soldiers tended to reflect the racist views the generals had predicted. Despite the vast array of studies 
conducted during World War II, and despite the executive order, there were still delays. The first branch to fully integrate was the United States Air Force. For the Air Force, not only did they have an excellent example in the 332nd to refer to, but they also faced the reality of the need for many trained specialists as possible. Unlike the Army, which would push vast numbers of unskilled recruits to labor units, the Air Force required technical skill and expertise to ensure aircraft remained functional. Under the old system, the Air Force had only one black flying group, yet were required to have 10% quota of black recruits. Regardless of how many black airmen were serving, they only trained enough specialists to keep the single segregated flying group in the air. Despite these men's desire to perform their trade, the majority were prohibited from doing so. Recognizing this waste, the Air Force began adhering to the President's policy, fully integrating by 1952. Other branches followed. Once again, practical measures outweighed racial beliefs. The United States was engaged in the Korean War and manpower was at a premium. By 1951, the Army's nine training divisions were integrated and black recruitment was on the rise. Additionally, black members of the Army and Marine Corps were serving in combat at the same ratio as white men. Combat integration failed to produce the violence or poor morale military brass had predicted. By 1953, the number of black Marines had grown from 1,900 in 1949 to 17,000. And finally, in November of 1954, the Army reported that it was fully integrated. The military of any nation is a reflection of the social milieu within the nation's borders. The ending of segregation within the U.S. Armed Forces reflected a country that was eager for change. The same year the military completed integration, the Supreme Court ruled in Brown versus Board of Education, overturning separate but equal. Military service was vital in transforming how black Americans were viewed. Through sacrifice and valor, black soldiers, sailors, and airmen earned their position among America's heroes. Their blood and sweat earned their freedom, no different from any other patriot, despite it taking much too long for that sacrifice to be recognized. To all of our black brothers and sisters, I say, on behalf of veterans everywhere and this program, thank you for your service.
Well, it's been nearly 250 years since a group of visionaries told King George to take a hike. Somehow, we've managed to survive despite the many challenges we've faced and the many mistakes we've made. Like any family, we sometimes disagreed with each other, but let a stranger intercede, the U.S. family always stood united. Unfortunately, I'm not sure the phrase, united we stand, rings as true as it used to. We could simply dismiss this division as the natural ebb and flow of elections and political discourse, or the wake of the COVID pandemic, or we could recognize the clear and present danger. Let's look beyond the soundbite and recognize the true dangers that exist. Refuse to be labeled, stand united, stop fighting with each other, and start fighting for each other as if our lives depended on it. Because you know what? They do. We wish to acknowledge the following people and artists that made this show possible. The Army Traveling Band, for its rendition of Lift Every Voice. Walt Napier, 514th Air Mobility Wing, for the history of African Americans' integration in the military. Get Together, Young Bloods, Give Us the Flag, Richie Havens, Buffalo Soldiers by Alan Harris, The Backlash Blues by Nina Simone, and Fortunate Son by Creedence Clearwater Revival. And we wouldn't be here without you. Please let your friends know about this program and share with us your comments and suggestions for future programs. Also, send us your upcoming events so we may talk about them on the air. You can drop me a line at vetswjffradio.org. If you or someone you know is experiencing anxiety or needs to speak to someone, here are some numbers to remember. The Veterans Crisis Line, simply dial 988 and press 1 to talk with someone. Send a text message to 838-255 to connect with a VA responder. Or start a confidential online chat session at veteranscrisisline.net slash chat. And don't forget, Let's Talk Vets is now available as a podcast. So until our next formation, thanks for listening. Thank you for your service. Company dismissed. Lift every voice and sing Till earth and heaven ring Ring with the harmonies of living One.